0: Today's message can really be communicated in just five words. Jesus is all we need. That's the message. I mean, if you want, you can just switch off now, if you like, and tune in again in about half an hour's time. But I hope you stay with us, because genuinely, I hope that that going through this over the next half an hour or so will bring this idea that you might be familiar with, that Jesus is all we need, bring it to life in a whole new way for us. That Jesus is not just perhaps a ticket to heaven for when we die or a man that was worth listening to and his teachings are pretty good, but that he is a man who has given us himself so that in him and him alone we would find everything that we need. There's a little bit of a joke that goes around church circles that if you are in a Sunday kids' work, that literally any question that is asked, Jesus is always the answer. Like, including what snack do you want, or what would you like to, I don't know, which toy would you like to play with? The answer is always Jesus. Well, welcome to Sunday school this morning. The drama that has, uh, we've been looking at through the book of Exodus has been building and building. And last week we saw how God was, had been sending a series of devastating and cataclysmic events upon the nation of Israel, what we would commonly refer to as the plagues. And really they are all your favorite disaster movies rolled into one place. There's rivers turning to blood. There's huge hailstones crashing down upon the earth. There's swarms of locusts covering the land. The sun goes out. I mean, it is all happening. The action's big, it's bold, and it's showing the power and the supremacy of God, even over this foreign land of Egypt that had no idea who he was. But today, as the tenth and final plague comes along, The narrative that we've been following that has been building and building and building, and if this was Hollywood, all of the CGI budget would be saved up for this last climactic moment and the budget would just go through the roof. But here as God shows his maximum power, the focus narrows in on just one thing. In the Passover meal and in the Exodus, God slows the narrative right down and he wants to make it clear to us, and to the, the people in the story, that for them to be saved, for them to find freedom, for everything that they need for the journey that's ahead of them, there really is just one thing that they need. So today's message is called, The Lamb is All We Need. And we are going to pick up from Exodus chapter 11. Um, and this is now after the first nine plagues, as I mentioned before, Pharaoh has repeatedly throughout each of them said, I am not going to let the people go. Uh, And so now a final plague is threatened. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, a few verses from chapter 11, reading from verse 4. Then we're going to read the first chunk from chapter 12, and then a few verses later on in chapter 12. So the words will appear on the screen behind me, so you can follow along there or um, flick there in your own Bible. So chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, he's speaking to Pharaoh here. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave slave girl who's behind the handmill, and the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And then jumping across to chapter 12, from verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, "'This month shall be for you the beginning of months. "'It shall be the first month of the year for you. "'Tell all the congregation of Israel "'that on the tenth day of this month, "'every man shall take a lamb "'according to their father's houses, "'a lamb for a household.'" And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what you can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the, this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood. And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses, that's the top bit of the doorframe, in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night. Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains in the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, the sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hands. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then, last little bit, from verses 29 through to 31 in chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Finally, if you've been tracking along with us, freedom for God's people. Their generations of captivity have come to an end. Victory, a victory moment for them. But first, as we have just heard, this Last and most dreadful of plagues for them. Every firstborn is about to die. Probably none of us need convincing that this is the worst case scenario, that in a moment, loved ones taken from you with barely any warning, households devastated. As we read in this, Moses emphasizing every single house, from Pharaoh, the man of greatest status, to the slave at the handmill, the least. Even the livestock, no one is going to be untouched by this. This is a plague that is no respecter of status or wealth. You can't buy your way out of this. You can't use your contacts to try and negotiate your way away from it. It is coming. Unless you are part of the people of Israel, as we read in verse 7. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And this kind of sounds a familiar note for us. If you were here last week, you would have heard us seeing and looking that all through these plague accounts, God keeps the people of Israel safe. He protects them. He shows his sovereign power and his sovereign care over them. And here he does exactly the same again with a slight poetic flourish to it, not a a dog shall growl against them. Like the worst of the plagues is coming, but not even a dog will growl against my people. And it seems like we're seeing it all again. But then when you turn to chapter seven of, uh, sorry, verse 7 of chapter 12, we see it's actually a bit different. Because he says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintels of the houses in which they eat it. This time, in order for the people of God to be safe, they have to do something. Up until this moment, in every one of the other plagues, the protection from God was just automatic. It just happened. They didn't have to do anything in order to, to, to access it, if you like. But no longer is the protection automatic for the people. No longer can they rely on salvation by association. No longer can they say, just because I belong to a certain group of people, or I was born in a certain area of Egypt, or I belong to a particular tribe, I am safe. No, to be safe, they have to hear God's voice, believe what he says, and then act upon it and choose to be part of it. And I can only imagine that when God revealed what it is that he's asking, that at the very least, it raised a few eyebrows. They must have been absolutely terrified as death was looming upon them, desperate to, like, what do we need to do to keep our family safe? Then they gather around Moses and Aaron as he reveals, how is it that God is going to protect us? And they hear, I want every family to get a lamb. Specifically a lamb without any blemish, a male, a year old. And then all of you, I want you to gather together as one at twilight and kill them. And then I want you to take the blood and smear it on the doorpost and on the top, and that's it. That's the plan. To keep them safe from a looming threat of death, a lamb. A dead lamb. Like, these are the people who have just had a front row seat on seeing the almighty sovereign God working throughout all of the plagues. They've seen his power on display, and this is what they're given. A lamb to protect them. I mean, if I was there, I think I'd be like Moses. I have one question: <laughs> like, What? <laughs> what are you? Do- what is this? Like, is this really what God is doing? Is this His plan to save us? Like, I, I would have thought. I had something in my mind would have been like: Maybe we just get all the firstborn out from like overnight stay at a spa or something. Like, let's keep them protected, or some kind of like underground bunker situation. Or at the very least, just a lot of cotton wool. We can just wrap them up, surely then they will be safe. But no, he says, take a lamb. Like the most, or least intimidating, least capable animal that you can think of, and then kill it. I mean, just imagine as they did it, they go outside and they're terrified that their family are going to die. And you get the blood, and you just do a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there. And then you take a step back and you think, is that it? Is that really going to keep me safe? Is this going to be the thing that protects my loved ones? Just a little bit of blood. You must have just felt in that moment as the night is starting to come and you know that's the moment of death. You must just feel so helpless they must have felt so foolish to be trusting in this plan when they could have done something else, like run away or like try and take matters into their own hands. But this is the plan. People in my family are about to die and I'm out here doing this. Is this really going to help me? What God has given to them seems almost useless and powerless. Yet it is just what they need. This is part of why the book of Exodus and getting to know it for us today is so helpful and so useful because it is a book of patterns, or rather it is the original pattern, a pattern that we then see repeated time and time and time again through Scripture. One way of thinking of the Bible, if you're kind of new to it, is that it's basically just the story of Exodus on repeat, time and time and time again, in slightly different ways, showing us slightly different people in slightly different ways, Uh, in slightly different scenarios, but it's always the same tune, if you like. A bit like a melody in a jazz piece. I'm totally out of my territory talking about jazz. But from what I understand, it's kind of a baseline melody that's then like the Exodus story, but then just repeated and riffed on throughout. Slightly different sound, slightly different sound, but unmistakably the same melody each time. This book, the Exodus, shows us the original pattern. This is how God thinks. This is how God speaks. This is how God acts. This is how God saves. Here, right at the beginning of Scripture, he saves through the most unlikely, the seemingly most useless and powerless thing. Throughout, he saves through what seems to be the most ridiculous of plans. Have you heard the story of Gideon before? They're facing an army of 60,000 soldiers, 300 men up against them. This is not like a 300 men of Sparta situation. This is 300 men with torches and trumpets. And yet God claims the victory. It's foolishness, but God works through it. Showing us the pattern that when what he has provided seems totally useless, that is how he will save. This is how Paul the Apostle puts it. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We can expect the plan to feel useless. Just like as Fergus was praying out, like when it seems like it's so confusing, how is this going to work? Clinging on. If you sometimes look upon the man, Jesus Christ, hanging upon the cross 2,000 years ago and think, there is no power for me there. There is nothing here that can actually help me in what I am facing right now and going through. Welcome to the club. Welcome to God's pattern of salvation but it's as we cling to the cross when it seems completely foolish to trust it. When we choose to believe the unlikely power of the cross, when we just cannot see it at all, this is the pattern of the exodus echoing through our lives, showing us that the thing that we think cannot help us is actually the power of God. It is exactly what we need. And not just what we need, but that the lamb is all we need. As we go through chapter 12, we see the lamb is not just the beginnings of the plan, but the lamb is the plan. It's the plan to keep the people safe. It's the plan to set them free. It's the plan to equip them and fill them for all that they have for the journey ahead. All of their salvation is found in this lamb. This is a chapter all about the lamb. From the meticulous detail that we've already seen of how big it's meant to be, what type of lamb, how old it's meant to be, when are you meant to sacrifice it, and then taking the blood and exactly how you're meant to apply the blood to the doorpost and the lintel, then you're meant to go inside and picking up from verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Notice there, a kind of double emphasis at the beginning and the end of the verse on eating it. After covering the house in the blood of the lamb, you then go inside and you eat the flesh. And again, there's clear instructions about how they are to eat it, how they're meant to cook it, the herbs they're meant to use. Everything that they are doing in this chapter is centered around the lamb. And the whole of this lamb is in view. We've had the blood, now we've got the flesh And it talks of how we're meant to cook all of the lamb, the the head, the legs, and the inner parts. Lamb brain, anybody? And then it says in verse 10, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. You're to eat all of this lamb. A little bit of the lamb is not going to do for you. It's not enough. It's saying you need to take large portions of the lamb, and you need to feast on it. You need to be full of the lamb for where I'm taking you. And you need nothing else. Verse 11, it says, Go with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. That is very much the keys, wallet, phone of the ancient Near East, but stripped way back. I mean, this is like any journey that they're going on, whether they just pop into the shop, they would take these things. They are not just about to pop to the shop, these guys. They are going on a journey. That's all they're taking for this journey, embarking upon the most dangerous and risky venture that you could imagine. There is a good chance, as we will see, a good chance that these Egyptians, who are about to let them go, are not going to be particularly happy about them going, and that their supreme mega army might see a nice little opportunity for a bit of good old-fashioned revenge against these completely untrained uh, people who are fleeing from them. And yet, even if they do manage to then get away, they are walking free into the wilderness. Now, this is not the wilderness as in, oh, cool trip to the Lake District, let's go hang out in the wilderness. This is like a cool trip to the Lake District if there were also wild animals there and barbarian armies trying to kill you. And I know people up north can be a bit rough. but (laughs) The wilderness is a place of kill or be killed. To survive any of this, they must be waiting on God to tell them the swords that he's going to give and the, the shields that he's going to give them to protect them, the chariots that he might give to speed away. He's the sovereign God. He's the creator of all. He can probably rustle something up for them. But all he gives them is the lamb. All they need for this journey is the lamb. Even the way that they prep the food points to this. All of it is emphasizing speed. You roast it. You don't boil it because it's the quickest way of cooking it. You do it all together. You don't spend time chopping it all up You've got to use bitter herbs. They're the, the com- most common, easiest herbs to find. You go and grab them, chuck them on. We've got to get this thing cooked so we can eat it. You use unleavened bread. We don't have time for the dough to rise. This has to happen quickly. Be quick. Be ready to depart. The message here is that you do not have time to ring round and find some good quotes from some good removal companies and pack up everything that you've got. You've got to leave and leave everything else behind. You can't take anything with you. It's likely in this time, given that these people have not yet committed themselves to properly following God, they're still getting to know him, still learning him, that they would have had all kinds of Egyptian household gods in their house. It was just normal. It was just the way that things were at that time. God here is saying, you have to take none of that with you nothing that you can cling to for comfort, nothing that you can perhaps try and put some of your trust in to keep you safe. For this journey, you've got to go completely empty-handed, covered by the blood, and full of the lamb, And that is it. And as if to really send this point home, even here, in the midst of this narrative, with the drama all building up, this is not just a description of a a one-off event, but in verse... uh, 14 through to 20, it constitutes then an annual celebration. The most important day of the calendar, the Passover meal, to celebrate and and named how death passed over these people in this event through them feasting on the lamb. A celebration of being saved and freed and provided for through the lamb. A yearly reminder of the centrality and the total sufficiency for these people of this lamb who was slain. As we see this house covered in blood and this family come together, gathered around the table, feasting on its flesh, everything slows down. Just this one thing comes into view, the lamb. Look at the lamb. There's people desperate, they're longing to see God's power at work on their behalf, fearing that they might be as good as dead. And this most unlikely source of salvation, God is trying to show them everything you need, everything is found in this lamb. The gift of the lamb that then echoes through the pages of the Bible. Over. 1,400 years later when John the Baptist was on earth and he saw this man named Jesus, he pointed at him and immediately said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As soon as he saw this man, he said, look, a lamb. Here is, John said, the Passover lamb for us, the new Passover lamb that we need. And all that would follow in Jesus' life would show this was indeed who he was. A life lived entirely without blemish. In his death, not a bone of his body was broken. In his death, a piece of wood, this time shaped in the cross, in the shape of a cross, covered in blood. In one of his letters, Peter actually describes Jesus as a lamb without blemish. And Paul then, the Apostle Paul, not to be outdone, then just outright says it in 1 Corinthians 5, where he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. The Exodus echoing through the Bible, finding its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He has come so that in him we might find a Passover lamb. We too have a lamb where in him we find everything. Everything, everything that we need. This is what Jesus said about himself. It's how he talked about himself. In John chapter six, he said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He's now saying through his blood and as we feed on his flesh, we find eternal life. And again, this is not just ticket to heaven, but this is what Jesus referred to elsewhere in the scriptures as life to the fullest, living in the power of the eternal life now through him. This is Jesus speak for live your best life now and live it for the rest of your life and live it through into eternity, but only, only through feasting upon him. Here he comes and knowing exactly what he's doing entirely self-consciously, just presents himself and says, I am this Passover lamb. He's saying you no longer need to find an actual lamb. You don't need to find something that meets all of the standards. You don't need to prep it up and cook it in a certain way. You don't need to only be able to eat of this once a year. But now I am your lamb for all that you need. Everything. Everything. In his blood, as he gives up his life, in his flesh, we'd find it all. Jesus here just to be very clear he's not using poetic license he's not just like over exaggerating it because he's got a crowd around him he's saying i actually am all that you need for everything all you need for salvation all you need for freedom all you need all we would need for our journey through the unknown wilderness that lies ahead, for any battle that we face, for wherever we find ourselves, for any season that we find ourselves in, we find everything that we need in our Passover lamb, his flesh and his blood. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so straightforward. It's in him we find everything, and yet isn't it so hard to believe it? when we are bombarded in this world by being told we, are, we need so many things, that you need to find and look everywhere you can for sexual gratification, otherwise you will never find joy. Or you need to find a career where you both feel a deep sense of your purpose being achieved, and you also need to have a top-tier salary, otherwise what are you doing with your life? You need to be a mum who is constantly attentive to your kids and meeting their every need. Oh, and by the way, you also need to have a, an Etsy account that's bringing them great revenue, and you need to look amazing before you, before you put any makeup in, on the morning. You need to get a 2 1 in your degree, otherwise, your life is not going to go anywhere. You need to have your whole life mapped out by the time you're 25, otherwise, you're going to waste your days. You need to get flat abs, you need to get an iPhone 14 Pro into the noise of all of this that bombards us. We need to choose to step out and say, no, 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 I don't need any of those. I need one thing. I need the lamb. I need to go to the one who says earlier in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. We need to eat of him. All of those other things, they are just empty calories. All of those things, you eat of them and they taste good for about a second. And then you're miserable and you're hungry again. Now I need to, they don't feed my soul. I need to be nourished somewhere else. I need him. Only he will satisfy and nourish our soul. I just love that picture of the family in this house, gathered around the table, covered by the blood of the lamb feasting on his flesh just coming together not satisfied with just a little bit but trying to get hold of as much as they can to feast on him as a church family don't we want to be just like that are people coming together hungry looking for nourishment looking to get hold of him to feast on him knowing we can have as much as we want, knowing that however we show up to the table, whether we're joyful or frail, whether we're grieving or content, whether we're motivated or languishing, whether we're lonely or lively, knowing that our deepest needs will only be met in coming to him and feasting. This is what God has been working to throughout all of the plagues. This is the work of his sovereign hand looking to lead his people to the land. Plague after plague, showing his strength, revealing progressively the extent of his sovereign power, time and time again showing his goodness and his protection and his care for his people, all of it designed to bring them to this, this night, this point of decision where God is saying to his people, are you ready to trust and go all in on the lamb and say that he is all that you need? And they did. Verse 28 in chapter 12. The people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Do you see the double emphasis again in that verse? They did it. They heard from God. They started to be moved by what he was saying, and then their response was, they, they did it. They didn't just believe these things in their heart as God spoke. They didn't just nod along with God and say, Hey, there's some good points. I am interested in what God is saying, I will mull on it. No, their faith, it moved them to immediate action. We see this in chapter 12, that they, they take the lamb and they take the blood. Four times as they're eating the meal, we, we read of them eating. It's an active response, a response of participation. They saw that just believing this, believing, oh, the lamb is going to provide everything for us, but then not doing something about it was not going to get them anywhere. If they wanted to enjoy their salvation, if they wanted to step into all of the freedom that was on offer and and enjoy the life that God had for them, they had to be active. They had to reach out, take their share, and feast on it. The same is true for us. If we believe, you might be thinking, I've heard all this before. I know Jesus is everything. But I'm hoping that this stirs our hearts to think, if we believe this, if we think Jesus really is everything, then we need to do something about it. We have to live it out and live as if it's true. This means discipline. This means making a goal and then ordering our lives, making a conscious, intentional decision of I am going to do something about this. I want my life to be about feasting on Jesus. You know, every moment of every day, we have an opportunity to meet with Jesus, to come to him and feast on the bread of life through his word and by his spirit. We can come and he has everything that we need. We can feast upon him. And if we really believe this, we have to be disciplined. We have to choose. I am going to make time to open up my Bible. I'm going to make time to have a few moments with him to welcome his spirit and ask him to come and fill me. This is good old-fashioned personal devotional time. I think something, somewhere along the line, this became a little bit unfashionable in church circles. That you know, I would read my Bible, and I, I don't know if, if you do, but this is the only means that Jesus has given us or the the primary means for us to come to him and meet with him and feast on him and say, he is my all. There's no replacement. Something that was big for me when I went to university was I found myself around a group of Christians who were like me, but they lived like this. They lived like Jesus was everything. I found myself around people who saw Jesus in a completely different light. They didn't just love church, They didn't just love Christian things. They didn't just love wearing what would Jesus do bracelets, which I was banging into at those times. They loved Jesus. They had this dynamic relationship with him that when I saw how they knew him, when I saw how they talked about him, I was just like, I want something of that. I want to know him like they do. And I spent as much time with them as I could, worshipping, praying, hanging out with them, Find some people like that. Find music and podcasts and books that aren't just Christian-flavored, but actually do something in your heart to move you towards Jesus. It's so good today to be able to welcome so many students, and I imagine there's some people in the, the room, you've just arrived in Manchester, new phase of life, looking ahead to what university would be like. There is no better goal for you to have for your time at university than this of just saying I'm going to make Jesus everything in my life find a church where it will help you to love the lamb and love him and feast on him more we would love to be your church family we would love to encourage you and spur you on in those things and and point you towards him whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else find somewhere find people find a church family that moves you towards him and inspires your heart because he really is everything this is what we see here and it's what we start to see is he is everything for everyone. Everyone can come and feast on the lamb. As the Egyptians woke up and a great cry went out and they saw death had visited every home in the nation that had not been covered by the blood. Pharaoh, his response was immediate, go, get out, leave. Through the lamb, the people of God on the move. And we read about it in verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. We read of a multitude going out. This 600,000 that we read here, some commentators think that was just the 600,000 fighting aged men. That was amongst them. That actually a closer number would be two million people leaving Egypt overnight. I mean, just look at the sovereign power of God that just in a click of a finger, the blink of an eye, two million people set free. But it was also a mixed multitude the original people of Israel and Egyptians. Egyptians, by many estimates, making up a large chunk of their numbers. People who had been added into the people of God. People who now had a share in the land. This is the stunning and outrageous mercy of all that God was doing through these plagues. And the Egyptians, they had aligned themselves with the regime of evil and they had been slow to acknowledge God and turn to him. And yet God, in his remarkable mercy and kindness and grace and his patience, was working through it all to make a way that all might come. That all could choose, all could see God's power And know who he is. He was making a way for all to see. He is a good God. He is a safe God. He is worthy of trust. So that all who then trusted in the blood of the lamb. And feasted upon his flesh. Shall be saved from the sting of death. And walk into the fullness of life that he was offering. And as we come to a close now. If whoever you are. Wherever you are from. This offer is for you. If you have never made a decision before. To say I I know Jesus like this. I know him as my bread of life. I have a living relationship with him. In a second, I'm going to make an opportunity for that to change. You can feast upon the bread of life today. Jesus, he really is all that we need. We're made to believe it. And just like in this meal that's constituted here, we are made to live it. And that's how we're going to finish our time now. We're going to share in the meal of the Passover lamb gathered together, a family coming together around the lamb, drinking his blood, feasting on his flesh. This lamb that has died for us, that we might find life. So with the band light to come,